Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You heard it live here on NPR at 9 o'clock. House Democrats say they will move to formal impeachment hearings against President Donald Trump for the phone call that he had with the leader of Ukraine earlier this summer and a long trail of things that they say defy the bounds of his executive office. What do you think of this decision by House Democrats to impeach the president? Do you think that it will convince Republicans in the Senate to change their minds about whether the president should be impeached? And what do you think this might mean politically down the road? Next year, of course, is a presidential election year. Will this backfire on Democrats and hurt whoever the eventual Democratic nominee is? Or is this something that has to be done? Is this a line in the sand that must be drawn against the kinds of things that we have seen President Trump doing almost since he was uh, almost since he was elected in 2016. As always, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. I especially want to hear from folks who supported President Trump and maybe voted for him in 2016. What do you think of all of this? What do you think of this phone call with the leader of Ukraine? And what do you think of this response by House Democrats drawing up articles of impeachment based on that phone call and a number of other things? Do you think that the person you voted for, the person you supported, has gone beyond what he should be doing as the president of the United States? Or do you think that House Democrats are just playing politics and are upset that they lost the 2016 presidential election? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And joining us to talk about this momentous day is Barbara McQuaid. She is a law professor at the University of Michigan and the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Barb, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks very much, Stephen. Yes. So let's start with your reaction to these articles of impeachment that the House Democrats announced this morning. Are these the the kinds of things that make sense at this point? Are they responsive to the things that we saw the president do and what we heard in the hearings leading up to today? Yes, I think so. I, you know, one of the things we heard last week when we had the, the, the four law professors come testify is explaining the historical origins of impeachment. And I think that that ultimately informed the way that the articles were drafted, not as violation of any particular statute like bribery or extortion uh, or, um, you know, use of quid pro quo, that sort of thing, but instead more broadly as abuse of power and obstruction of justice. Um, and that's appropriate. I think that sometimes people get caught up in the idea that it must be a crime for it to be impeachable and then start looking at the, uh, the elements of offenses um, in, in that way. And impeachment is something very different from conviction for a crime. A president, after being removed from office for impeachment, could also then be prosecuted for a crime. But impeachment is not like a criminal prosecution. It says that we gave you this trust as our president, and you've done something to suggest that um, you are not fit to serve, not so much as a punishment, the way the criminal law looks backwards, but as a current and future harm that we are concerned 
that your ability to lead has been uh, for, fatally tarnished. We don't trust you to, to be the president. And in, in this instance, there's some danger of having you as president, especially when the harm relates to foreign influence and subverting elections, because then we can't use the political process to remove you. Impeachment is the only way out. And so I think for that reason, drafting them in the uh, terms of abuse of power and obstruction of justice is uh, consistent with that theory. So uh, for a while, there was talk that these kinds of charges in these articles of impeachment would be too difficult for people to understand, and that bribery, which is mentioned in the Constitution in the impeachment clause and is something that most people have a pretty fair understanding of, was a better way to go for House Democrats. In other words, that this was an effort to convince or coerce the leader of Ukraine to do something that he was not otherwise inclined to do in exchange for military aid. Why not go that route? What What do you imagine is the calculus that held House Democrats back from going that far? Yeah, I imagine they did discuss that because, as you say, Stephen, bribery is specifically mentioned in the Constitution and would provide probably a compelling narrative for uh, arguing that this is impeachment worthy. Um, And I think in many ways the facts do fit a theory of bribery, which is defined as demanding a thing of value, an announcement of investigations, in exchange for the performance of an official act, releasing the military aid. So I think it fits. I think the um, the reason they may have um, withheld from using that is the fact that um, Republicans have made uh, some hay out of there being no direct evidence of a quid pro quo. Now, again, this isn't a criminal trial where you would have to prove, uh, follow the rules of evidence and uh, articulate uh, with direct evidence a quid pro quo. But I think to uh, fend off that talking point, they have instead charged it more broadly in terms of an abuse of power in, in, in case there is some concern about whether they can satisfy the element of a bribery offense, which would require them to show a quid pro quo. Instead, by framing it as an abuse of power, it's enough to say that he invited election interference from Ukraine and that he withheld military aid, even if he's unable to link the two. Linking the two, uh, one, one is leverage for the other, makes it more egregious. But even without that link of quid pro quo, I think as framed, it's still impeachable conduct. What do you make of the charge from Republican members of the House that all of this is unfolding at a pace that does not imply a lot of care or caution and that their side of things is not being considered, that this is not a bipartisan act but a a sole kind of pursuit of House Democrats? Well, two things. One is I don't know that it's particularly fast. The Bill Clinton impeachment went faster than this did. Um, so if you look at the historical record, um, it isn't uh, on a much of a different pace. I think it's uh, roughly equivalent to the pace of the Nixon impeachment. So um, I, I don't know that it is particularly fast. And to the extent it's been one-sided, that's because President Trump has refused to allow others to testify. Um, I don't know that what they would have to say, people like Pompeo and Mulvaney and uh, Bolton, uh, I don't know if what they would say would be supportive of the president. Perhaps that's the reason that he's refused to allow them to testify. But I don't think you can both um, prevent people from testifying and then complain about the brevity of the hearing and the 
uh, lack of testimony from all the relevant witnesses. So, and and that gets to a larger point here, which is the idea that this is playing out in the most partisan way and that that means it's almost going to be impossible to have the Senate remove the president, even if the House impeaches. And I think that raises an interesting question about the utility of all of this. What is the purpose of this in political terms if what it does is just agitate the divisions that that already exist? Is there a point that that sort of supersedes those political concerns that you think compels what the House Democrats are doing. It's, it's an excellent point, Stephen, because it's a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of allocation of resources that could be spent on other uh, projects if Congress weren't focusing on impeachment, um, if, if in the end it will simply be futile. But, but what's the alternative? The alternative would be to say um, this president can do anything he wants because he has a Republican base in the Senate that will allow him to do anything he wants. And so, therefore, we should just stand idly by and give a pass to anything, no matter how egregious we believe it to be. Um, if uh, the House believes that this is an egregious abuse of power, um, and there's certainly support for that position, then do they not have a duty to stand up for what they believe is right and say that this is unacceptable? Um, it at least goes down as a marker that President Trump was one of only three presidents to ever be impeached. And for other presidents who look at whether inviting election interference is appropriate or withholding military aid is appropriate and you'll get a pass, they can look to this moment in history and say, oh, um, no, this is something for which the House says impeachment is appropriate. And if I have a Senate that's not quite so friendly, I may not get the same kind of treatment that President Trump got. So it's more future-looking, even if it can't be used to hold President Trump accountable. It can be used as a deterrent for future presidents and a time when the House held the line on what is acceptable for presidential conduct. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about the announcement of articles of impeachment against President Trump made this morning by Democrats in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. We're going to continue our conversation with Barb McQuaid, and we are going to get to your calls. Bill in Bloomfield Hills, Frank in Livonia, Tara in Detroit, and Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will hear from you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019-WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the announcement this morning of articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and the chairs of several different committees made those announcements this morning in Washington, D.C., after weeks of hearings in which people testified about the extraordinary things that President Donald Trump has done both the call with the Ukrainian leader earlier this summer and many other things that he has done that seem to go beyond the scope of 
what the presidency is supposed to be. We want to hear from you about what you think of these articles of impeachment, about the decision to impeach the president, and about our politics, especially our politics going into 2020, which is a presidential election year. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also join us on Facebook or on Twitter, and we'll try to include you in the conversation here. Let's start with Bill in Bloomfield Hills. Bill, what's on your mind? Yes. Uh, I thought the uh, uh, the impeachment hearings, I watched them uh, closely, not all of them, of course, but I'm very much in favor of them. I think the president has <laughs> abused his office. But my question for Barbara specifically is that uh, I wonder what the possibilities are, the prospects are through the Senate trial of getting the actual transcript of the call that's been hidden away uh, so well by the uh, president. Bill, that's a great question. I believe you're referring to the call with the Ukrainian leader, which we have seen a summary of from the White House. But of course, we have not seen the full transcript. Barb McQuaid, is that something that could come out during the impeachment process in the House or during the Senate uh, trial? I I think it won't, but it's such an interesting question because um, as Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified, he knows that there are some uh, terms that were omitted from it, in fact, including the name of the company Burisma, um, where it was just listed as ellipses in the um, summary, I guess we'll call it. Um, Number one, I don't know if it exists. Number two, if it were to be subpoenaed, no doubt President Trump would um, exercise some sort of executive privilege, and that could result in some interesting um, court uh, navigation, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. It would go to Chief Justice Roberts um, of the Supreme Court, who would be presiding at the Senate trial. He would make a ruling on it of whether it comes in or doesn't come in. Um, And then if there's an appeal of that, it's actually the Senate themselves who get to decide the appeal. And so if they wanted to protect the executive privilege, they could do that. I think a really intriguing possibility is also whether a recording uh, of that call exists in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. My guess is that it does. Um, Getting that from Ukraine um, would perhaps be difficult, but maybe easier than getting it from President Trump. So my guess is it will not come in um, because the Senate ultimately holds all the cards in, um, in the Senate trial. And I'm not certain whether it actually exists. Hmm. Again, Bill, I really appreciate the call and the really great question. Let's go to Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's Hi, on your uh, mind? good morning. Um, you know, I'd really like to, you know, kind of look forward into, um, you know, the election process and you know what we need to do to uh, to change that and you know the way that we, uh, you know, run our elections. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that you know it wouldn't be a stretch to uh, you know charge all these politicians. With you know under the RICO laws, I mean it. It just is, uh, you know, the basic concept of how we finance elections. Just open a uh, open ourselves up for this. Uh, you know, I think what we need to do is have a Department of Elections. You know that uh, it, you know is taken out of the uh, fundraising that we do. Uh, you know, until we get that in that, you know, people like Donald Trump and you know and uh, Bloomberg with a lot of money, or they can you know gather. Uh, a bunch of special interests uh, with a lot of money. This is just going to continue. That, so I think we need to look forward. That's a that's a really interesting dimension to to think about here, Frank. Barb McQuaid, I wonder what what your reaction is to that. 
I think Frank is absolutely right that elections have evolved to be very different from the way they were originally constructed and imagined um, with the influx of money and also with the influence we're seeing on social media. And it would be great to spend some time with bipartisan uh, actors focusing on a better way to build elections. One challenge that exists there is the Supreme Court opinion in Citizens United that held that corporations are people um, and have First Amendment rights, um, which means that um, uh, they have the ability to make contributions, and there are currently uh, no limits on certain kinds of political action committee super PAC contributions to political campaigns, and, and that is what allows the influence of really big dollars in our elections. It would be nice to limit that in the same way that individuals are limited to uh, making contributions. Anyone, you know, the, the bundling and the the support that uh, organizations can make to campaigns um, makes it really beyond the scope of, I think, what anyone anticipated when our election and democratic process was first considered. And so I think rethinking that process in light of all those factors would be really valuable. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, Frank, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Tara in Detroit. Tara, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. I think that the um, articles of impeachment were definitely well thought through and very deserving at this time for the president because he has been an embarrassment to America. For anyone as a Republican to stand by and accept this bad behavior, that he is willing to throw America under the bus so that Russia is propped up because that's exactly what he's doing. He wanted Ukraine to meddle in our elections because he is not up for the fight to fight fair and go up against if Joe Biden is our uh, Democratic opponent. Hmm. So it's overdue. It's well due. I'm going to throw an impeachment party at my <laughs> home tonight <laughs> because, again, I, I think it's the best thing that Congress has done. And for Republicans not to do anything and to keep upholding this impetuous behavior by a grown child, because that's exactly what he is, mm. and he needs to be held accountable. Mm. Uh, Tara, I, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. I, I am not sure. I love the idea of an impeachment party because I don't know that we should be celebrating this. I think this is a, a tragedy and a real problem in the in the institutions of, of our republic. But I but I completely understand what you're talking about, that, that people, I think, have gotten to the point where they, they really feel like this is overdue, like this is a president who has behaved in ways that have courted this kind of response for a long time. But I absolutely appreciate the call. Let's go to let's go to Robert next in Detroit. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, two quick things. One is um, it seems like Trump got the uh, public announcement of investigation into the Bidens because that's all they're talking about during these impeachment hearings. And um, there's not going to actually be a real investigation. The other thing is I'm wondering legally – can, if he does get impeached and get thrown out um, because he has another term, can he still run for a second one? That's a really great question, Robert. What would happen, Barb McQuaid, if he is, let's say he is impeached and somehow the Senate decides to remove him? Could he still be on the ballot next November? Robert, that's such a good question because the answer is it's not clear. Um, one of the things that the Senate can do and sometimes does do when it impeaches others, and it's done this in the case of uh, judges um, and others in impeachment that have 
received a little less profile than some of the um, you know, the presidential impeachments is they can take a second vote that says, and this person is barred from forever holding office. Um, but if they don't do that, it isn't clear whether the person can run again. There's a clause in the Constitution that says something like um, the remedies for impeachment shall not exceed removal from office and disqualification from future office. But it doesn't say that those are the remedies that automatically attach. And so if there's an impeachment and removal from office, you could imagine President Trump um, taking that issue on and saying, I'm running again. And uh, show me in the Constitution where it says I can't. And so if there is not that second vote, I think it is um, uh, unclear whether the Constitution prohibits his running again, which would uh, be a, a really chaotic uh, uh, development if sure. there is a removal from office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine how that would unfold in the courts, especially next year. Uh, uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to the show. Yeah, you know, ditto Tara's remarks. I agree with her wholeheartedly, and great minds do think alike. Um, also, in ter- what did Mulvaney say? We, and I believe this is a direct quote, we do this stuff all the time, okay? But, you know, in terms of the articles of impeachment and that 300-page report, <laughs> there's, a, there's a grain of truth in, in there somewhere. And, you know, and, and I'm going to kind of dovetail on Tara's uh, remarks. I mean, Trump has been nothing but an absolute disgusting, oh, God, I'm running out of adjectives here. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of, you know, where, where we have fallen in terms of our relationship with, you know, countries around this world, even, even our allies, I mean, he has been nothing but a, you know, like a millstone around a drowning man's neck, and they're never going to get back up to the mm. top of the surface of the water. Yeah, Tom, I appreciate the call and and the very passionate sentiments there. One thing that that he said, Barb McQuaid, was about Mick Mulvaney, who I think has not done the president any favors with the way he's tried to explain this. I, I wonder is whether that kind of thing and that kind of testimony. Uh, during the impeachment hearings or in the Senate might be the kind of thing that ultimately convinces either Republican members of the Senate or the House to change their minds. I mean, there, there is this sense from the administration that, yeah, we did it, but we just don't think it's wrong. And, and I guess I'm wondering what the limits of that kind of argument might be. I think Mick Mulvaney is the only one of this group who has been honest about what happened. And I think Republicans would have a lot more credibility if they simply embraced what Mick Mulvaney said. This happened. It happens all the time. Uh, there was a quid pro quo. Get over it. Um, it's ugly, but it's true. At least embrace the facts and agree what happened, because I think if you quibble with the facts that, that this didn't happen in some way, you lose all credibility. Instead, say, it happened. It was bad. It was not appropriate. And yet, even though it may be impeachable, uh, we have the choice to choose not to impeach or not to remove from office. Yes, he's been impeached, but we don't think it arises to the level of removal from office in light of the totality of the circumstances. I would disagree with that. And I think one reason they're not taking that position is because they know that most people would disagree with that and find that this behavior, if it occurred, is awful and is uh, sufficient to remove a president from office. 
But I think that that's at least an honest argument, mm. and that is one that Republicans could make in good faith. Instead, they're hiding behind this fiction that it didn't happen, and, and that undermines all credibility. Mm. Uh, let's go to Rodney. Rodney in Ann Arbor. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen, mm-hmm. and thank you, Barbara, for being on. Uh, my question is whether uh, Chief Justice Roberts can, on his own, compel witnesses like Bolton and the others to testify. Uh, that's a great question, Rodney. We've seen lots of people say, I am not going to comply with subpoenas from various committees in the House of Representatives. Does the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who would preside over the trial in the Senate, have more power to make people show up? Rodney raises a really intriguing possibility. And so what you can imagine how this would play out would be uh, the Democrats in their prosecution of the case would call a witness like John Bolton, um, and John Bolton would re- refuse uh, to comply. And then Justice Roberts, as the presiding judge, could enter an order compelling him to appear. What that would happen, though, or could happen, is that the appeal process under the Senate rules for impeachment is that the Senate gets to decide by majority vote um, whether to overrule the chief justice in that case. So you would need just a majority of uh, the Senate, controlled by the Republicans, to say, mm, nope, uh, Justice Roberts, we, uh, we're going to overrule your ruling. Let's move on. Now, the question that's really intriguing is whether it's different from the two-thirds required for impeachment. It's just a simple majority. And so the Republicans have, I think, 53 members in the Senate. They would need only four members to defect from that position um, as opposed to the 20 who would need to defect for a removal decision. And so that's really interesting, whether um, senators would take the political hit. Of, imagine that overruling the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who has made a legal ruling and say, we know better, or we care more about politics than the rule of law here. And so would they overrule them, or would four, uh, you know, you can imagine a Susan Collins or a Lisa Murkowski or some others saying, ooh, that's... Uh, that's too much. That's a bridge too far. I'm going to let the chief justice's ruling stand here, and let's hear from from John Bolt. And so it, that'll be really interesting to watch play out. And it seems as though Chief Justice Roberts, what I know of him, he may be interested in hearing from some of these witnesses, for instance, who did not testify in the House. Yeah, I think um, you know he has his worldview, but I, I think he's a relative straight shooter, and I think it would be difficult for him to. Uh, for example, follow these um, assertions of absolute immunity that the Trump administration has been asserting and has now been rejected by every court that has considered it. And so I think that uh, it seems likely that if Justice Roberts rules on the merits, he would order John Bolton to at least appear. He may be able to assert executive privilege with regard to individual questions, but it would not preclude him from showing up. I think another issue, though, to think about is whether Democrats will risk calling witnesses that they have not had an opportunity to preview. Uh, Prosecutors typically don't put witnesses on the stand cold. You know the old adage about don't ask a witness a question to which you do not know the answer. If you're putting on a witness that you have not previously had an opportunity to hear from, either in a deposition or um, testimony in the impeachment phase, it's a little risky to put them on the stand, especially someone who is aligned with President Trump like, like John Bolton who might be inclined to spin his testimony in a way that's favorable to President Trump. So it may be that the House Democrats don't want to risk that either. Okay, Barb McQuaid, 
law professor at the University of Michigan and former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.